Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. We've seen the gospel laid out in the book of Romans and the fact that uh, everyone born Jew and Gentile are lost and need a Savior, that Christ is that Savior and that through faith in Him. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The soul that God saves or justifies, He sanctifies and grows in grace. And we're expanding upon what that life looks like ever since uh, chapter 12 where Paul exhorts us. He says, I appeal to you therefore... Based by the mercies of God. And when you see that by the mercies of God, that's the what we have in our Bibles as the first 11 chapters, everything he's just talked about. And since that is true, since the gospel is true, how should my life look? He says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we went, we've went. we been talking about what does that living sacrifice life look like? What, is, what does my life look like since the gospel is true? What is God working in me, Christ-likeness, in, in every step? And, and uh, we've talked about a lot of things through chapter. We've talked about gifts of grace, marks of the true Christian. We talked about submission to authorities in, in, in the first part of chapter 13. And now we're talking about fulfilling the law through love. So we're going to look at verses 8 through 10, and really this morning that's all I'm going to read. Uh, and we're going to talk about those verses a bit as we go forward. But look in, look in Romans 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 8, and we'll read these verses. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Therefore, God's word. Let's let's pray. Lord, work in us this kind of love. And we know that that's what you do. When you bring a soul to, you, to, to faith in Christ and we're united to Christ and, and cleansed from our sin and clothed in His righteousness and justified, declared righteous by you on the basis of Christ and adopted into your family, you begin sanctifying or transforming us into those who love. Those who love you First and foremost, those who love neighbor, those who love one another the way Christ has loved us. So help us to think well about love today, to define well love, to believe what your word says about it, to apply it to our lives. Help us to treat this as the word of God and eagerly expect and ask for you to bless it and and teach us from it and seek to understand it so that we may walk in the truth that is here. Thank you that we have the perfect example of love in our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to save us, who lived for us and died for us, was raised for us, is reigning for us, and is coming again. And thank you for the gift of faith to trust in Christ. 
and to believe in Him. Help us to rest there. And help us to, as Peter calls us to, therefore from that gracious resting position to make every effort to grow in grace. To be people of love. To truly love. Only you can do that. So we pray for you to bless the preaching of your word. Help me to preach it in the power of the Spirit. And bless the hearing of your word. Help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit. That Christ might be lifted high. That we might be sanctified and you might be glorified. Through your word preached. It's in Jesus' holy name that we trust for it and ask for it. Amen. I've got to take a little time. A little time to think things over. I better read between the lines in case I need it when I am older. This mountain I must climb feels like a world upon my shoulders. Through the clouds I see love shine. Keep me warm as life grows colder. In my life there's been a heartache. There's been heartache and pain. I don't know if I can face it again. Can't stop now. I've traveled so far to change this lonely life. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know that you can show me. Some of you are smiling Because you're as old as me. And you know where that came from. Foreigner was the name of the band. 1999. I want to know what love is. Other songs about love. All we need is love. That's an even older song from the Beatles. One I don't necessarily like. What does, what, what's love got to do with it? Well, everything. I will always love you. When a man loves a woman. There's a lot of songs about love. Love is a big theme in music, in country music, in rock and roll music, and you fill in the blank. But today I want to go back to that really good question in the foreigner song. I want to know what love is. In other words, what is love? What is love? That's what we want to think about. It's not this, 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 as old man Potter in A Wonderful Life would say, it's not just this sentimental hogwash we see talked about these days. It has a definition. See, in our culture, you can't force love. It just has to happen to you. It's like a rock. It has to fall on your head. But is that real love? I mean, we do get good feelings from it, but it's just the the exhilarating puppy love feelings, but it's not the definition of love. Joyful walking in God's commands is what love is. And that's what we'll see today as we look in this passage. Main point is really simple. God's law both commands and defines love. 
Love is a thing that can be commanded. It is commanded. Right? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First and greatest commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself. Second to it. And even amped up by Jesus. Love like He's loved us. But first, let's, let's look at the first part of that. God's law commands true love. You've heard it in that summary I just gave. But look what it says here in verse 8, commanding us, Owe no one anything except to love each other. In other words, the Lord is commanding us to love each other. To, that we have a debt to love each other. When it says owe no one anything, it's not forbidding mortgages and things like that. But it is, we are to pay those back. If we take out loans, we are to pay them back. If we take out student loans, we are to pay them back. Meddling now, right? But loans on cars and homes, that's temporary debt that can be repaid. Hopefully all of us will experience that time when your mortgage is paid off. Right? And so that loan is, that that owing is done But see, there's an owing in this verse that is never done. There's a debt that's always there. To love the Lord first and then to love my neighbor and to love each other the way Christ has loved us. So you see right there in verse 8, Oh, no one anything except, that's good translation. You see different things sometimes in different translations, but that's good right there. This is the one thing we are are to owe on a human level. Now, we're speaking on this, this level. Primarily today. We're speaking horizontally, not vertically, but the vertical is assumed as we talk about the horizontal. There's a continual debt that never goes away. As long as as we are on this earth, we are to love one another. Like Christ has loved us. And when it says here, love each other, we're primarily talking about believers here. Remember, the context is, okay, I'm in Christ. I'm believing in Christ. I am one who has embraced God's mercy in Christ. So now what should my life look like? And my life is to be characterized by love. So this text is primarily speaking of believers here, though all neighbors are included. In our duty to love. We saw that from the second great commandment. And we'll see that again uh, as we talk about this text. But here's just a few other verses. We've seen this. This was I gave you as memory verse. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. And there's the new dimension. You are to love one another. I'm to love you and you're to love me in Christ the way Jesus loves us. So if we keep our eyes on Jesus, then we're able to extend that kind of love to to one another, whether or not we deserve it or we think we deserve it. Right? If I have something against you, I'm to forgive you. Why? Because He has forgiven me. I'm to return a blessing instead because that's the way He treats me. Right? I'm to love sacrificially. He sacrificed Himself for me, so I'm to sacrifice myself for you. We, are, we have an, a debt here of love. First Peter, Peter speaks about it. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. When something is earnest, 
That's intense, right? It's intensity of effort. I'm really striving into this thing. To love one another. And John in 3.23 of 1 John. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. So you can see that as far as the Bible is concerned, the resurrection proving it to be true, that love is something that can be commanded. And in fact, love is commanded. And it's the most loving thing for God to do, to command us first and foremost to love Him. We're not talking about that, but He is the true and living God. And then to love neighbor as self and then one another like Christ. How do we do this? What defines what love is? Is there an objective definition? Well, I've already gave that away, but look at the rest of verse 8. Oh, oh, no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In other words, the one who is loving towards another is doing what God says. He, we're, we're, we're loving God by keeping His commandments to love one another. We, love is the fulfillment of the law. Look down at verse 10. You have a little situation here where you have a couple of, you have brackets. You might want to say chiasm, however you want to say that. But you've got brackets around this text and brackets are this little phrase right here, love, who, loving one another has fulfilled the law. Look in verse 10 at the end at that. It says, um, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So the end of verse 8, the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. And the end of verse 10, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And in the middle of that, we're going to have some meat of that. Okay? Love. So it brackets the text. The law that tells us to do no wrong to our neighbor in verse 10. So what law is that? So God commands love, and He says that love is the fulfilling of the law. So what law is that? Aren't you glad we don't have to guess? We don't have to have theological arguments about what law we're talking about here. Because it's right there in this sandwich. Think of a sandwich with two pieces of bread. What's in the middle? What's this sandwich? It's a, it's a commandment sandwich. Right? So we have the Ten Commandments in the middle of our sandwich. And we're looking, we're talking about the horizontal because it's the one another. It's, the, it's this dimension. Because of this, we love one another. He tells us exactly what He's talking about. What law is He talking about us fulfilling? He's talking about the Ten Commandments. This, this, this verse, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of verses that are a problem if you think that the Christian no longer has a relationship to God's law. We're no longer under it as a covenant of works. But my goodness, it's become our, 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 stu- our teacher, our instructor, our guide now. And that's exactly how Paul treats it here and in other places. It's the standard of the love we're to have for one another. So look at, look at point two. The law defines true love. It's detailed. True love is detailed by God's commandments. I've said this before. This is the same law that was in Adam's heart when he was created. Yes, marred in the fall, but not lost. Then this law was under a different dress in the Mosaic economy, but it was the core of it. 
And then the promise of the old covenant was that the new covenant would be God writing this law on our hearts, a renewal. So it had a different dress in the new covenant, but it's still there. It's still authoritative. It's still our teacher. It's still expanded upon in, in the New Testament as authoritative. So we have love defined that one, the, the love that is the fulfillment of the commandments is defined by God's Ten Commandments. So the first table of the law is love of God. That's the first, first four commandments. Second table, second six. Second six is love of, love of neighbor, where we're going to focus here today. Notice this. We're always so worried about legalism. Well, I can't, that can't be, no commands, that's legalism. That's not Bible, that's silliness, Right? New Testament is full of commands. But notice that, what is the summary? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's our responsibility as creatures of Him, being created by Him. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the heart and soul of the law. Love is the heart and soul of the law. So look, at, look back in verse 9 now. God's law defines true love. The foreigner... Those guys, hopefully, I don't know if any of them came to faith, but God answered the question. I want to know what love is. Do you really? Okay, look right here. It's the fulfilling of the law. Look in verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So look at verse 9. You shall not commit adultery. Now, we've talked about the law a good bit in the past, but we know some things about the law, don't we? That the law is kind of the, this is the, 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 um, the capstone of all sin. These are the genus under which are the species. So when one thing is forbidden, all like sins are forbidden. Right? So he doesn't have to mention every particular detail of every particular sin because they all come up under one of these heads. So he, he, adultery is the, is the genus of all of the species of sexual immorality. So he says this, and when, when a sin is forbidden in the commandments, the opposite duty is required. It'll really help us see the breadth, because you can read the New Testament and see this is exactly how Paul interpreted the commandments. When he's talked about not stealing, he also said on the flip side, be, get, work and give. So it's it's both sides of the issue here. So when he says here in verse nine, you shall not commit adultery. And we know this, the the fulfillment of the law is to bring no harm against our neighbor. So if I love my neighbor the way God tells me to love my neighbor, I'm not going to be trying to get his spouse or her spouse. So that's the bad. That's the negative side of it. I'm not going to be trying to take their spouse. Right. Or cheat on mine, whether I'm married yet or not. But the, uh, the flip side of that is I will do everything possible to promote their sexual purity. The sanctity of their relationship. So not only will I not cheat on it and destroy it, I will try to promote and protect the sanctity of their relationship. Adultery is the head of all sexual sin. Any sexual sin is forbidden in that commandment. God didn't have to tell you not to look at pornography on an iPhone for it to be under that commandment. 
See, we have this mistaken notion these days. If God didn't mention it, it's all right. Well, he mentioned it. He mentioned it. That's sexual immorality, just like a lot of other things are. So we, we are not to commit adultery, therefore, and we are to promote the well-being of the sanctity of our neighbor's relationships. And secondly, you shall not murder. So we're not to take life unjustly. A flip side of that is we're to do everything possible to promote the flourishing of life. So not only are we not to murder someone, we're to promote the protection of life and the promotion of the life of our neighbor. We're not to kill them, we're to protect them. To the extent that we can, right? So we protect their relationships, we protect their life, we don't do them wrong by taking their life. And Jesus even boils, and, and you read Christ, all this comes back to the heart. Sin starts in the heart. It's not an outside-in thing. It comes from the inside out. So when I'm unjustly angry with my neighbor, I've committed murder in my heart already. When I look on another person with lust, I've committed adultery already. So that's the depth of these commandments. So Paul says this is defining the love that we are to fulfill when we love one another. You shall not steal. So the negative prohibition is I'm not to take what is not mine. But the positive side, then I'm to do everything to protect and promote my neighbor's flourishing. His wealth. His estate. His prosperity. I'm not to, I'm not to be envious of my neighbor if he succeeds and I don't. We've got this terrible virus in the culture these days of envy and jealousy against the wealthy and therefore hatred of them and assuming that they did something wrong to get it. Well, think about Abraham or Job. Those are some of the richest people around in their day. But that was because of God's blessing. And if you were Job's neighbor or Abraham's neighbor, you should be happy for his prosperity. Not envious or jealous. And not thinking you would be happier if you had what they have. We all fall victim to that. If I just had a little bit more, I'd be happy. You know the greatest wealth? Look at me. The greatest wealth on this planet is contentment with little. The greatest wealth is contentment with little, is to be content where God has placed me. It doesn't mean I don't try to be excellent in my job and under God's will go further if He allows. But my happiness is not tied there. If you can't be happy where you are, you'll never be happy. Okay? Because stuff is not going to do it. (laughs) Trusting God is what's going to do it. So we, we, we don't look to steal, but we, we promote our neighbor's prosperity. And we're happy for them when they do succeed and, and, and vice versa. We're, we're to love our neighbor that way. We shall not covet. We're not, we're not seeking to take anything that's our neighbor's. We're not, uh, that's the root of all sin we talked about. We, we murder and, and steal and do all these things because we're looking and thinking that we should have what they have and to the extent that we're willing to take it. It's the lack of contentment, lust of the heart. So we're not to, we're not to 
We're to be sexually pure. We're to be protectors of life. We're to be givers who work hard and, and not coveting what our neighbor has. And Paul says, if there's any other commandment, they're summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at that again. There, here, there's... There's some more cultural hogwash around this verse right here. Have you ever heard anybody say that you have to love yourself first before you can love your neighbor? God commands us to love ourselves first before we can love our neighbor. Did you know that you're never told anywhere in the Bible to love yourself? It is assumed that you love yourself. Love for self is assumed. Human beings instinctively do act to preserve their own happiness or self-interest. Even when they do bad things, they're doing it because they think it'll make them happier or better off. But we're, we're never told to love ourselves. We're, 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 love for self is assumed so that we will extend that kind of love up to others. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way nurture and look after and seek to protect and promote the happiness of your neighbor like you do if you're normal in your own heart, in your own life. Even people who do destructive things to themselves are doing it because they're seeking to promote that self-interest somehow. But as you love yourself, as you seek to care for yourself, you are to do so for your neighbor. Do you see what Paul is doing? As he's defining, he's calling us to sense the gospel truth. This is not to get God to love us. We don't do these things so God will love us. If you're in Christ, God loves you. Christ came to save you. He lived for you. He died for you. He was raised for you. He gave you faith that you might trust in Him and be forgiven and, and be clothed in His righteousness and made His child. It's You are standing in grace and from the grace and the power that is yours, the Holy Spirit and the encouragement that comes from that right relationship with God. Now we seek to return love to Him. And as we're loving Him and keeping His commands, we're loving one another. This is what a gracious life looks like. One who joyfully trusts God, who believes what He says, and joyfully seeks to walk in His ways that are laid out in His commandments. So just as all sin that is forbidden is summarized or, or headed in the commandments, all joy is there as well that we're to pursue by a joyful obedience to God that flows from a trust in Him. Because of the cross. That's, that's enough for us to trust and rest in Christ. So here's some things that are true then. If I'm going to be loving. If I'm going to be really loving the way God defines love. I must first love God. Because if I don't love God, I'm not going to be walking and keeping His commandments, am I? My, my first love interest has to be transferred from me to him. My way to his way. Repentance. So that I love 
God because loving God is defined by keeping His commands. Loving God is not demonstrated by or defined by feelings. If I ask you, if I just walked up on the street and asked you, uh, or asked the average person on the street, do you love God, where would they look? They'd look inside, wouldn't they? Look for sentimental, look for a feeling. But no, look what 1 John says, 5.3. This is the, I love it when the Word of God is this plain. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, just grudgingly, No, look, and His commandments are not burdensome. Joyful obedience is the love of God. I can say what I want to, but if I am not pursuing joyful obedience, I don't love Him. Because He says that's what love of God is. So, to love my neighbor, I must first love God. And that's the first table of the law. Paul didn't break that out, but I'm breaking that out. Those first four commandments have to do with our love of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then your neighbor as yourself. Number two. So I must love God to love my neighbor. And number two, in loving God and keeping His commandments, I love my neighbor. So I'm backing up. I, I went at this backwards. First John 5, 3 first, because I had a point there. Now, First John 5, 1 and 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, look at this, loves whoever has been born of Him. Now watch this plain language. By this we know that we love the children of God. That's the each other in our text, the children of God. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So see, all that is underneath what Paul is teaching us here and showing us the way of true love on this horizontal plane. The instructor, the guide, the rails, if you would, for me knowing whether or not I love you is if I do this. I don't commit adultery. I don't murder. I don't steal. I don't covet. Instead, I do the opposite. I do no harm. That is love of neighbor. Self-sacrificial love of neighbor. Outlined in God's commandments. Jesus loved This way. See, Jesus was the most loving person and He never broke any of these commandments. He fulfilled them to the nth degree. Jesus sacrificed Himself to love the way that Paul in Christ is calling us to love. Self-self. Sacrificial love. Because we know, listen, we know this. The first ministry of the law is to show us our sin and how far short we fall, isn't it? For us to see the law and see that we're sinners and see our need of a Savior. So when we read the law, if we just read the law and we're comparing ourselves to the law, we know we've all failed. None of us has kept the law in thought, word, and deed. We've all fallen short. We've not loved God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we've not loved neighbor as ourself. But the good news is, that's what the law is supposed to teach us, isn't it? That's the first ministry of the law, to get us and take us lovingly by the shoulders and say, You're a sinner. You need a Savior. And it's not you. 
We've all failed. That's what Paul's already taught us in Romans, isn't it? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory God requires. The thought, word, and deed obedience that He requires of us. We've all sinned and fall short of that. And what we deserve in and of ourselves is condemnation. That's why the gospel is such good news. If you never hear the law preached and taught and you don't understand the law and therefore you don't understand the verdict and you don't understand what sin is, then the gospel is just some self-improvement thing. Maybe how you can have a better marriage or something. Well, we want you to have a better marriage, but we want that to flow from a relationship with God. And so the, the law teaches us that we're lost, we're hopeless, we cannot save ourselves, so that then we look to, to Christ and see the glorious good news in the gospel. The good news is this, that Christ came and was incarnate, God-man, to live under His own law. He fulfilled all righteousness. He kept the law in thought, word, and deed. He was the Lamb without spot or blemish. He deserved only blessing. And yet He became sin for us, or He took our burden upon Himself. He took our sin upon Himself and took the condemnation that we deserve. He went to the cross, and yes, he suffered physically horribly, but that physical suffering was nothing compared to that wrath of God being poured out on him that was due his people. And because he was God and man, he was able to drink that cup, that cup that in the Garden of Gethsemane caused him to tremble and sweat blood. He was able to drink it dry. He satisfied the judgment of God on behalf of his people such that he could say, It is finished. Before he left the cross. Then he blew, went through the grave. He didn't go and stay. He went through the grave and was raised the third day. Proving it's all true. Christ died for our sins. He was the Lamb of God that John pointed to. He died for our sins. Those animals didn't take away sin. They pointed to him. The true Lamb of God who would come and live and die. And pay the penalty of our sins and be raised from the grave. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day that we might turn and trust in Him. Repentance is a change of the direction of soul before it changes anything in a life. But the soul goes from death to life. The soul goes from running from God and pursuing sin and self-satisfaction in evil to turning to God out of from life to repentance and faith, to trusting in Jesus. Going from unbelief to belief. Initial repentance is that turning to God and receiving Christ as your Savior. Are you trusting in Christ alone this morning? If you're trusting in Christ alone, if you're a child of God, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have a new heart. So you have the ability to walk in the commandments with joy and to grow in them. We won't be perfect. When we're glorified, we'll be perfect. We should be growing in these things right now. So, we see that love is the fulfillment of the commandments. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Listen, love God and love neighbor is not the gospel. I hear that sometimes. Love God and love neighbor, that's the gospel. No, that's the law. That's the law. We are required to love God and love neighbor and we have failed. So, Christ came and loved God and loved neighbor for us. And paid the penalty for our sins that we might now grow in loving God and loving neighbor. That's the resulting repentance in our lives that we're growing in now. But we are to be growing in it. 
And it should be our joy in it. See, this should be our desire. When you see uh, verses 8 through 10 and you see Paul defining love with the commandments of God, you should be, yes, I want to do that. I want to be that way. And it should grieve us when we fail to do that. I mean, Listen, go read Psalm 119. That's the regenerate heart. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation, day and night. Oh, how I wish I walked in it perfectly. Go read Psalm 119. That's the heart we're to have. God says that in the, in the New Covenant, go read it in, in Jeremiah and other places, where He says what He's going to do is renew our hearts and write His law anew on our hearts so that we'll walk by His Spirit in His ways. So love God, love man is what we're called to. It's not the gospel. Christ has, is the gospel. As long as our love remains incomplete. And see, we all know we're growing in these things. As long as our love remains incomplete, we require God's commandments to both chastise us and to guide us. They show us what Christ is and who He is for us and how He's perfectly done this. They show us what we're called to, what we're forgiven from, and then God, what God is working in us so that we will be joyfully obeying these commandments. And the greater that I joyfully obey God's commandments, the more I am loving both Him and neighbor and one another. See, there's a definitive objective standard for love, and it's not feelings. It's not sentimentality, and it's not whatever I think is right. It is God's commandments. Do you see that? Look back at verses 8 through 10, and especially verse 9, where Paul is defining love by those commandments. True love walks in this way and thus fulfills the law by the power of the Holy Spirit. And someday we're going to do that perfectly. When we're glorified, we'll never have a sinful thought. Sinful word or sinful deed. But until then, we look to Jesus and we see Him in these commands and we seek to walk in love this way. Love does no harm to its neighbor. And sin is always a harm to one's neighbor. So how do we apply this thing? Let's think of a few points of application as we conclude um, that's just preacher talk. I might still be going for an hour. No, I won't be. But here's a few few things we can come away and think as we're thinking about this text. Number one, I want to warn you of some stuff. Okay? Number one, beware of any love that is separated from God's law. Because God's law is objective morality. This is truth. This is what Jesus lived. This is what we're called to. Beware of any definition of love that is separated from God's commandments. If love is cut free from God's commandments, it quickly dissolves into sentimentality and virtually any course of action can be defined as loving. And that's what we see these days, isn't it? If it is violation of God's commandments, it's not loving. I don't care how you feel about it. It's hate. Uncomfortability meter just went up, didn't it? But this is the objective standard for love. 
So love me loving you means I'm going to strive in the power of the Holy Spirit because of God's grace in my life to walk this way. And you say, no, no, I just need to look to Jesus. When you look to Jesus, this is what you see. When you read the Gospels, this is what you see. Him living this way. Out of love for the Father and love for His people. His life was about fulfilling righteousness. And righteousness is defined in God's commandments. When you look to Christ, if you don't see this, you're not looking to Christ. If you just see this this person who would never judge anybody about anything, guess what? That's Satan with a disguise on. Well, my God is just a God of love, however I define love. He would never condemn anybody. Well, you're right. That's your God. That's the idol you've made up in your heart. It's not the true God. The true God has been kind enough to give us his word so that we might know exactly who he is and exactly what he requires and exactly what he's done for us in Christ. Any love that is separated from God's law is not love. And I hope you see that I'm getting it from this text. Love is the fulfilling of the law. What law? The law Paul is explaining here. This is love is walking this way. So anybody that tries to convince you that they're loving, but they're not walking this way, living in at best an illusion. Any so-called love separated from God's law is not love. It's sentimentality. It's man-made And it won't hold up. It's just man's way of getting around God's ways and trying to make himself seem right. So beware of that. Number two, church, beware of this. This is an infection that is in the church and is dangerous. Beware of legalism. If we begin to focus on just the commandments and forget the love, forget the gospel, then we descend into rigid legalism. We become loveless list keepers. Self-righteousness always produces this arrogance that is condescending to others, that snipes at others, that thinks that others should think in everything the way you think. Don't be a loveless list keeper. That was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? They beat others over the head with their list. And most of their list didn't even have anything to do with the commandments of God. But even when it did, it was this self-righteous, top-down approach. If the gospel is not marinated in every day, we will become legalists. Because we are hardwired legalists at birth. Beware of focusing strictly on the commands and forgetting the love. Go read 1 Corinthians 13. If I'm the world, I'm just going to if I'm the world's greatest theologian and understand everything perfectly and am not loving, it's worthless. Be better for you to understand one verse and be loving of your neighbor than to have it all figured out and be a loveless list keeper. 
I'm not saying you're not to walk in God's commands, but it, it needs to be this affection that's flowing from the grace of God to you in Christ and the gospel so that it's an expression of love to God and love to neighbor and love to one another. Don't be a nitpicker. You know what I mean by that? Just picking at every little thing you see wrong in other people's lives. Let love cover a multitude of sins. Be patient with people who are growing. Be kind and considerate. Be an encourager. Very few legalists are encouragers. You can be a true Christian and be a powerful discouragement to everybody around you. If everybody around you gets the whiff that you think you're the, the, you're the standard, that every time something is said, you know, every time there's an opportunity to speak, you, you are declaring your opinion, You've got to be careful with that. We can be loveless list keepers who beat others over the head with our list if we're not careful. Love is self-sacrificial servant love that won't quench a smoking reed, that seeks to come up underneath and help people grow in grace. And the only people Christ was hard with, really, really strict on, that He called a brood of vipers, were the legalists. So just a quick test. I'm going to move on. But here's a few questions, and some of these came, they're changed a little bit from an article by Kevin DeYoung. But let me ask you a few questions, and you ask God and search me and see if this is true. Number one, do you defend every conviction with the same degree of intensity? There are no second-tier issues for you. You're just, what you're on the watch for is error. Ah. And every little thing you're picking at. Do you defend every conviction with the same degree of intensity? Number two, are you quick to speak and slow to listen? And do you feel like you have to correct every fault you hear? We're to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Many words assure sin. It's silly, but you have two ears and one mouth. So that you can listen well, right? Number three, do you give others, are you in the habit of trying to at least give others the benefit of the doubt? See, Bereans were that way. They would listen to what was preached, but then they would go search the Scriptures to see if it was true. This will test us. Are you patient with new and immature Christians? If you haven't figured this out yet, a new Christian is going to have a lot of, a lot of problems, a lot of warts, a lot of things that hadn't been sanctified yet. And if you go picking at every little one of those, you're going to really discourage somebody. Now, you, you train and teach and seek to help and expect growth. And sure, if there's serious sin that must be dealt with, you deal. You, you you are to help deal with that, right? But are you patient? Most of the time, legalists are not patient. Loveless list keepers are not patient. Here, this is convicting. I, I was all of this on, at one time. After becoming to faith in Christ, I mean, I was so bad 
And my, my job was to win the argument at all costs that a person said about me once I left to my friend who was a Christian, if that's a Christian, I never want to be one. And it wasn't because I was being lovingly faithful to the gospel. Is your first instinct to criticize? See, the fruit of the Spirit is not being a critic, primarily. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, gentleness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Do you rarely change your mind? Here's one of the great tests, if you have the courage and conviction to ask. Do those around you see you as proud and or argumentative? See, we've got to be careful because we'll come to Christ and we'll be filled with zeal and we'll be learning a lot and that learning a lot will make us proud and we'll become, if we're not careful, these loveless list keepers who now want to rule the kingdom. So beware of any love that's separated from God's law and beware of legalism. And thirdly, embrace your debt. Here's the debt. The debt that we owe to, to God and to each other is to love God and love man his way, summarized in his commandments. The Holy Spirit is the means by which the law is observed rightly, with joy, out of love. The Spirit-empowered new heart finds God's law a joy instead of a burden. And we are commanded to love in God's way and we are ready and willing to embrace that because He has renewed us and enabled us to grow and do exactly that with joy. For the believer, with the Spirit in them, what brings joy is this kind of obedience to God. And what brings grief is failure. You have the Word of God. You have the Holy Spirit of God. You have everything necessary for life and godliness, Peter tells us, so that we can walk in love with each other, sacrificing ourselves for one another the way Christ has sacrificed Himself for us and seeking to live out this kind of righteous, holy, true love. This is true love. Again, see Psalm 119. So, fourthly, define love well. It's the fulfillment of God's commandments. See, the natural person, like what we saw in the foreigner song, loves to sing, I want to know what love is. I want to know love. I want somebody to tell me. But at heart, I want to make up what it is. I want to decide what it is. See, the unbeliever wants to define love his own way without reference to God's commandments. But the Christian is not to do that. We're to define love well and to see fulfillment of the law is the love that He calls us to. And listen, you can go away not believing that, but I, you can't get it from this text. If you, if, you, if you get what 8 to 10 is saying, you will see it there. Love in this way, this is what's according to God's Word. And so lastly, we already warned against it, never lose sight of true love. 
True love is fulfillment of the law, yes. But we, we have seen it and we do see it through reading the Gospels in Jesus. That is true love. He is true love. And His life was this fleshed out. The truly spiritual person out of faith in Christ, who has trusted Christ, believed that they deserve condemnation, turned in repentance and faith to Christ, and believed Christ for forgiveness of sins and clothing in righteousness and adoption into God's family. The truly spiritual person loves God and looks to Him for His definition of love and seeks in God's strength to grow in walking in keeping God's commandments out of love for Him. The truly spiritual person is one in whom the Spirit dwells. And the one in whom the Spirit dwells is the one in whom Christ is at work. And the one in whom Christ is at work is the one in who is trusting in Him and Him alone. In this way God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, kids, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's a truly spiritual person who is trusting in Him. You ever hear anybody say, yeah, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious. They reject the gospel that way. Oh, I believe in God. Or "I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious. You know what they're saying to you? I'm lost and need a Savior. Look at me. I'm not trying to offend you if that's your position. The devil is spiritual. The demons are spiritual. All forms of heresy and error claim to be spiritual. But the truly spiritual person, God's Word says, we saw it in Romans chapter 8, is the one in whom Christ dwells. The one who is reconciled to Christ. And the one who loves Christ and His Word and seeks to walk in it. And the main thesis of our text here is genuine love fulfills the law. Genuine love is a joyful, devoted keeping of God's commandments that flows from His grace, one who's in Christ. Are you a genuine lover? If you claim to walk, if you claim to believe in Jesus, but your life doesn't, isn't shaped by God's commandments, you may not know Him. And I, you may get mad at me, but I don't want you to be one of those. Go read, go read Matthew chapter 7, right around verses 21, I think, somewhere in there, where Jesus talks about and says, Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we not do this in your name and this in your name and this in your name? And he will declare to them, Depart from me. I never knew you. What does he say after that? You who practice lawlessness. You've made a claim to faith, but your life was characterized by disobedience to the law, which proved that the Spirit was never in you. Therefore, I never knew. Not that you had it and lost it. Not that I knew you and you lost it, but I never knew you. See, I don't want you to hear that. So I want you to have a good definition for love and a good definition for grace and a good definition for the gospel so that we see as his children, we're to return this kind of love to him and to our neighbor and as Christ has loved us to one another. See, there is there's an objective standard for love. Fleshed out in Christ, which is the commandments of God. So you see, 
the crying of the opening song, the foreigner song, it has been answered. I want to know what love is. God says, good, here you go. Love is my commandments fulfilled in my son. Turn from sin and trust in him and seek to walk in this way. True love is displayed perfectly in Jesus and defined perfectly by God's commandments. If you really want to know what love is, look to the creator and the designer of love, God, and how he has defined love, his law, and how he has fulfilled the law in his son, Christ, who lived and died in fulfillment of the law and was raised from the grave on the third day. Believe him. Follow Him, love Him in Him and in Him alone. We know what love is. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, make that more than words we say. But a a true conviction that You have worked in our hearts. That Christ is everything. My life is Christ. Therefore, I want to use it. For Christ. It's not that we loved you, but that you loved us and sent your Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And you have worked that love in us that we might return love to you by trusting in your Son and resting in Him for salvation and depending upon the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to grow in keeping your Word and to be convicted of and convinced of the fact that true love is defined by your commandments, and love is the fulfilling of your commandments by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. So just help us, our minds to be transformed so that we're ready to encounter. First of all, we're ready to walk in, in grace and faith and confident that we know you, and then we're ready to encounter those who don't know you with loving, gracious, but gospel, true word answers. Help us to be light and salt. Most of all, first off, help us to love you and to grow in that love, to love neighbor and to grow in that love and to love one another as Christ has loved us and to grow in that love. Help us to daily repent and trust Christ 